Welcome to For the Record, our bi-weekly show in which we take one recently released album and take a deep dive into it. You can listen to us every other Thursday at 9.30am on BFF.FM or subscribe to the podcast at ForTheRecordPodcast.com. This week we're talking about Deerhoof's album The Magic, which starts out like this. The Magic first track was entitled and this is a mouthful the devil and his anarchic surrealist retinue i've made a challenge to myself not to use the word weird throughout this podcast because it's so commonly associated with Deerhoof, but that title makes it tough it's actually and i only know because i read this a reference to the book by alex ross called the rest is noise where they're talking about stalinist composers and it's describing the plot of the book master and margarita so it's a line from that book (laughs) well no i appreciate you saying i only know this because i read it because i was about to feel very uneducated for not getting the reference and the song doesn't give us a lot to get because the lyrics i mean you hear the title of the of the album the magic and then that's kind of just it really i think i can hear the word the devil in there and other than that it's it's almost incomprehensible at least in english mm-hmm. there is this japanese language uh bridge that comes in a couple times and i did appreciate patting myself on the back for being able to understand really simple japanese where she's saying uh we can't do anything and it's your fault which is such a great sentiment to go along with this just incredibly energetic first track. I think reading anything into Deerhoof lyrics is a mistake. I think Satomi Matsuzaki, the vocalist and bassist in particular, uses her voice as a percussive instrument a lot. And I don't think the lyrics are really intended to be anything but impressionistic. Well, I I am going to agree because if you go to their website, they have the video for this song. And I thought, oh, great. Maybe I'll understand what this (laughs) song is about by watching the video. Nope. Crazy claymation shenanigans and a chessboard. And did that mean anything? I don't know, but it was pretty cool. One of the only clues they give us about what the meaning of this album is, is that they. So first of all, it was recorded kind of spontaneously without a lot of material written ahead of time in an an old office park like a, a an old office space that they rented space in and set up the studio to record over the course of seven days and it's supposed to be about music that influenced them as kids and that they remember and i i have to assume that the magic is sort of a reference to like this is what helped us become entranced with the magic of music 
Well, they certainly have a lot of influences here, just in terms of the crazy instrumentals that it starts off pretty conventional, sort of guitar and drums, or kind of the shaking sound. And then you hear this just bonkers guitar riff where it's just this kind of swooping up and it's like it's i feel like the song Wait, how is how does it go is that a good impression no but i feel like the song is almost like trying to throw you off i feel uh-huh. like it's this kind of bucking bronco of a song mm-hmm. and then you hear this like that slide guitar mm-hmm. it finishing up that second verse and it's almost conventional and that these are just manged munched together and it somehow works but it's it it, it takes a while to get on board mm-hmm. so I think it is funny then that this next song we'll play is almost the opposite of that. It's very conventional rock song and it's called That Ain't No Life To Me. that's Greg Saulnier on vocals who's also the drummer and the alternative vocalist and it's interesting I mean obviously that's not a very Deerhoof sounding song but in addition it really makes you appreciate how much Satomi's vocals make it make make it sound like a Deerhoof song yeah I kind of lost track of this band they had this couple of amazing albums in the mid-aughts that really I'm kind of shocked I just kind of stopped paying attention there was just other things that distracted but uh, I don't I barely remember his vocals being part of the sound and Mm. I think it it, I don't know if they're just really intentionally trying to push him to the foreground because there's a number of songs where he's either the sole or the lead vocalist or doing kind of a nice sharing of vocals with uh with her but here he's just leading the song where lyrics are totally front in the mix it's incredibly simple structure just verse chorus verse chorus done Mm -hmm. and it's under two minutes but then you think, oh, it's really simple structure and it's under two minutes. But then all of this, almost all of the songs on this album are actually pretty short. I think they're all kind of in that two to maybe three and a half minute range. And even these ones that are pretty formally interesting, that's all squeezed in there. So, uh, and even this one, I think it's sort of straightforward, but then it seems so aggressive and the lyrics are all just like grave and death. And then I, I read it again and I'm like, I think this is a love song. <laughs> Not a very healthy one, it may be, but uh, a charming one for sure. And we go from that very short, simple song to a song that we'll play next, which is much more complex. And it's also the longest song on the record, and it's called Criminals of the Dream.
didn't play the beginning of that song. Unfortunately, we just didn't have time. But I really like the way it comes in with those really weird 80s synths. And then each of the instruments sort of comes in one by one. And it really makes you appreciate each of the elements of the song in a way that I wouldn't have if I had just heard the section that we just played. I think a lot of the songs on this album actually follow that pattern of just adding the instruments in about in three sections. I think just this song really takes its time over like a minute or more before you even get to like the real meat of the song. And even then it's like, instead of a verse, it's an instrumental overture that sort of has the verse and chorus melodies just as synths, Mm -hmm. which is, a little self-indulgent maybe but um and then of course and then interspersed in that build is just this weird little dream you can dream you can dream you can dream i know you can dream kind of message mm. and you know you, then you look at this song it's like criminals of the dream is such a weird expression so i really struggled and i thought hey can i actually understand what this song is about i think i know what it's about <laughs> Because, okay. you know, there's these lyrics about it's not right to for people to fight to dream at night and you're writing. And I th- it seems to be about like escapism and how art should be about more than that. And you're just, you know, the, the world is bad and people are just getting caught up in these sort of collective dreams. And then there's this lyrics like, um, you know, things aren't as bad as they seem is how the, the lyrics change at the end of like, hey, like focused on the real world, maybe. And then this great, this turn a shadow into a show. It's mm-hmm. just like something that's not really worth paying a lot of attention, but that's what you turn into what everyone's paying attention to. Okay. Is that a reasonable interpretation? Sure. <laughs> I mean, I was taking it more of a like minority report sort of interpretation of, you know, thought crimes and like crimes in your dreams. But as I said before, I think it's a mistake to try to read anything too literal into these lyrics i think they're very impressionistic and i think that they're not really ever intended to convey a direct message and in fact that is why it has been hard for me to get into deer hoof as a band even you know when runners four came out and i think they got a lot of critical acclaim i think that was yeah, when like, because that album was amazing yeah but because of the opacity of the lyrics and the you know the kind of weirdness again that that is they are sort of known for I found it hard to I found them kind of inaccessible and it wasn't and this is by some accounts their 13th or their 16th album I saw different numbers they have a lot of like weird EPs that count this as an album kind of situation yeah but it wasn't until we saw them at South by Southwest like two years ago maybe or last year and they played outside at Sheer Up Charlie's and they were just so engaging and had such a great live presence and Satomi's sort of little dance moves and everything and jumping up on top of the and you see her in person and realize that she is frighteningly tiny yeah she's a very very tiny Japanese woman playing the bass and singing the bass looks bigger than she is yeah (laughs) and they were just really great musicians and very charming and so that was how I yeah, found my way to but them. they can certainly be a little self-indulgent on the albums. I think that's the case on this song. And I think at their best, I think they managed to balance the weirdness with that sort of crowd-pleasing nature. I think that is the case on this next song we'll play. It's called How to, excuse me, Learning to Apologize Effectively. The song is waiting for another song. And when we saw what we were doing, Wrong. We found the coast, they underwater. Wrong. 
So I think what distinguishes this for me is I would describe this as a band that maybe has ADD where, you know, in one song, they're just jumping around and trying different things. And one thing in particular is that this song pretty quickly kind of finds a groove and then just sticks in it. And this is a band where not a lot of their stuff is super danceable, let's say. And I think that is pretty funny, even in one of the songs, I think the last song on the album, where she's kind of jumping all over the place and then says, hey, everybody, like, join on in. And it's like, how can we join on in? This song is bonkers. And that's true, I think, a lot of the stuff on the album. Well, to be fair, that's in Nurse Me, where she's just yelling, hospital, hospital, hospital. Yeah, and and of course she shouts, everybody, right before she stops. It's like, okay, we're going to, yeah, it's just very deceptive that, but in this song, yeah, it just gets into this groove and it's, I think, very, it's not trying too hard. The lyrics are pretty repetitive and I think very relatable about just people kind of stuck in the cycle of, you know, the song's about learning to apologize. And yet the entire song is like, going to apologize and chicken little shouting at you. But then it just kind of just keeps going through that cycle and just that people kind of stuck and it's. And then, of course, it's, wow, really Wait, dance. how did you get that from those lyrics? Chicken chicken Little shouted at you. Yeah. I think that's what it sounds like. Okay. Uh, what I really liked about it was the different rhythms going on. All of these songs have kind of some interesting polyrhythms, but here it's like the drums are on one beat, and then you have the kind of percussive guitar that's just like the D, and then the bass has its own sort of rhythms, mm-hmm. and then the repeated lyrics form their own rhythm, and it's kind of um it makes it really interesting from a rhythmic perspective yeah and i think that's that's impressive is that it feels so cohesive even while so much stuff is going on in it that it is Mm -hmm. really again i just feel really catchy though Mm -hmm. and that's for me i feel like it's maybe in just purest terms the most satisfying song Mm -hmm. on the album Mm -hmm. it also struck me as sort of the darkest sounding song because of the there's a lot of minor key in there and then you have that guitar with that yeah this like kind of weird guitar like, yeah, buzzing kind of creating a feeling of anxiety and it was that was kind of an interesting choice i think yeah and this is a band that does know how to create anxiety i think mm-hmm. even when they decide to cover a song from the 40s they're somehow able to turn it into this nightmare and that's what happens on this next track i don't want to set the world on fire which is by the way a 1940s song by a band called the ink spots
If you look up the original version of that song, it just, you don't even really need to because it sounds like every 1940s song that you've ever heard. It's just kind of, I don't want to set the world on fire. That, you know? was, that was beautiful. Thank you. But, um, you know, it's it's just kind of that stereotypical sound and, and they transform it into this weird, very kind of dark cover with these very watery synths. And it almost sounds like there's a, a like some kind of a, Effect on her vocals like an auto-tune that's intentionally off yeah everything feels out out of place out of tune the percussion is just these kind of drum machine going dun, 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 yeah. and, it's, and you can't walk into anything yeah and you know i almost kind of took this as an artistic statement because the original song is all about you know i don't want to set the world on fire and become like this I don't want to become, you know, the Donald Trump of the real estate world or whatever. I want to just be with you and live a normal life. And it's sort of like they're saying we don't want to be this big band that's playing stadiums. We just want to do our weird thing. And this is sort of it. Yeah. And th- and that's the thing is you might from listening to the song, you think like you guys don't have it in you. But again, you see the live act and you like, hey, maybe they have it in them. But that's not what they're about. On the other hand, what they do love is just performing even if they're not going to be a huge commercial success they love performing and they love their fans and this album the next track we'll play i think is a love letter to performing for their fans it's called acceptance speech hilarious that we played that last song that cover which is sort of aggressively saying we don't want to be a big rock band big successful rock band and then this song has this sort of message and lyrical content that is like deer hoof here we are deer hoof here we come and it's so like some 70s arena rock (laughs) kind of attitude Mm -hmm. and then combined with the fact that i think again we have some like random japanese lyrics that are beyond my pay grade to comprehend but and even like the way they're pronouncing the band is like which is kind of how you would pronounce it in Japanese Ah, I wondered about that F's are very hard to pronounce Ah, in Japanese so it's just uh, very very so it's like combining that sort of swagger with that sort of deer hoof charming 
silliness. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, the we love to visit your towns is almost like a, how are you, Chicago? <laughs> yeah. It's so earnest and mm-hmm. sweet. And no, I just. And, and yet then there's this great sort of sort of echoing guitar sound to it as well. So it feels really big, even as she's kind of really playing up the kind of high pitched kind of wispy voice almost Mm-hmm. while combining with this sort of yeah this guitar swagger and sort of thematic swagger and like i love the title acceptance speech like yeah you're handing us some award that we're imagining well and their award is getting to play for people it's just yeah i mean and that they've been able to continue doing this for 20 years which is kind of amazing it, it, yeah that it, exactly that i remember like when they had that sort of mid-aughts height mm-hmm. and that they had already been around for so long and it was like they they suddenly blew up huge at least in you know indie yeah. rock terms and yeah. that they then kept have gone this far and never taken a break never yeah. never slacked off and yeah it's pretty inspiring yeah. um you know one interesting thing is that they i feel like they are a band that is always kind of just keeping it kind of weird and abstract or here just kind of almost sarcastic kind of swagger mm-hmm. And they're not kind of a big theme or like issue or like current events or politics. And yet then they even fit, I think, what I would call sort of a you know issue song on this album. It's this next one we'll play. It's called Plastic Thrills. By the way, sorry about our dog squeaking the squeaky toy. Or I appreciate it. Maybe it adds to the joy of our speaking. talking in the last segment about having a big rock sort of sound or attitude this guitar riff really reminds me of some kind of you know big rock sound it's a great riff yeah it's no it's really propulsive and then it you know it propels you right into this great chorus Woo! i threw it away Mm -hmm. (laughs) such a great message you know not the most subtle kind of environmental message (laughs) but sometimes subtlety is overrated and you know even then i can't quite pick out what's going on in the verses here but at least it's a nice chance where it, i think in the first verse it's the male vocals and then mm-hmm. the female vocals in the second verse so yeah. it gives you that at least a little more balance yeah and i don't have enough familiarity with their back catalog with how often they do that with the trading off vocals because i actually like that a lot better than when either one of them leads the whole song yeah i think it's really effective and i like them kind of joining forces to come up with something yeah. straightforward has a you know sort of simplistic but still powerful message and is just the first course first course and out so it's yeah. kind of fun to have a few of those songs in the mix but then we get back to the weirdness so this next song will place it's the penultimate track yes and that's called little hollywood little hollywood 
talk about this song because I really like the way that they combine that kind of hair metal guitar over what this polyrhythmic beat that almost reminded me of like a Stone Roses song. And I thought to the extent that they're sort of drawing on different influences here, they're combining them in a way that's interesting. And if their intent was to sort of create this mosaic of influences from their childhood and the music they love growing up, I think they did an effective job of that. Yeah, I think that this song is, you know, really representative of the album. It has that kind of weirdness, but also that sweetness and all these different influences. And I think if there's an issue with the album, it's that there isn't very much cohesion to it because it's kind of all over the place within the songs and across the songs. But that said, the level of musicianship is consistently super high. And I think we had a really hard time pitch. I think there's 15 tracks on this mm-hmm. song, on this album. And I, we had trouble picking which ones to talk about because they all have something to recommend them. And it's once you can get over that deer hoof weirdness, which admittedly is a barrier to entry for a lot of people. It's a really wonderful listenable album. Maybe not their best, but fantastic part of the catalog. So we've been discussing Deerhoof's album, The Magic, and this has been For the Record. Thanks for listening. We'll go out on the last song in the record, which is called Nurse Me. me.